So would we all just give an applause for Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Let's just welcome her to the platform. Come on up here. And God bless you. Thank you so much. It's ready to go. Glory to God. It is great to be with you, church. Good morning. So I might have a little bit more of a pep to my step in this service. Uh, we, uh, we, we got in at 6 a.m., uh, a lot of travel issues, lightning and delays and two-hour waits for rental cars and all of this. But God is good, and we are here. Um, that, was, that was our greatest fear, and I snuck away and prayed and, you know, blessed it and, and believed that we would be able to be here. But, you know, with, with the song that we sang um, during worship about the woman coming to the feet of Jesus. This is something that is so precious, and your pastor mentioned that as well. And it's in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Um, there's a whole story before that that goes along with this. But he says, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. It's amazing when you know what you've been forgiven of. It's amazing when you understand and comprehend the bondage that Jesus paid the price to set you free from. You begin to love Jesus on a much higher and even louder level. You begin to love him much because your sins were great and you recognize that and you say only you, Jesus, could forgive such a wretch like me. Thank you, Jesus, for paving that way to put me in right standing with God, to make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God looks to you through the blood, through the resurrection, and he says you are righteous. You can never be more righteous than on the day that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Right then you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You were called and qualified and justified. He is equipping you through his word, through his spirit, and through his servant, your pastor. Now, this is something that I think the church needs to recognize now more than ever, especially when we have pastors that have that spirit of Esther, that are bold, yes. that will take a stand for what they know is right. Yes. Because this isn't about Republican and Democrat. This is about good and evil. This is about right and wrong. Every decision that is made. Now, I told the first service, I'm not going to get political with you guys because I really can't stand politics. <laughs> I love Jesus. And I promise you, if there was something else that he had called me to, I would have done that with just as much enthusiasm. But this is where he called us. And this is where he called me. But... Your pastor is here to equip you, saints. You are the saints. You are anointed. You are the set-apart ones. And this time, you are the light in a dark place. You are the salt that preserves lives around you. The essence that brings flavor to people's lives around you. But your pastors are here, not just for two services on a Sunday, but each and every day, standing in the gap for you, interceding on behalf of you with your jobs, your children, your marriages, your relationships, your positions in the community, the calling that God has on your life. They have dedicated their lives to you for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. How about that? 
you get saved and now there's some work to do. There's some ministering that needs to be done. And what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to have a pulpit everywhere that you go? Does that mean that you are going to carry your big Bertha Bible around and open it up in the grocery store and start showing people what they're doing wrong? No. It means you are called to serve. And each and every one of you who has been brought into the kingdom of God has been given a ministry of reconciliation. Every single one of us are called to reconcile people to the Father. To let them know that God is not in heaven mad at them. That he is not imputing their sins upon them. That he didn't send Jesus to condemn them, but to give them life. That spit was anointed. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Don't worry about that. (laughs) Glory. You have gifts and callings for this time. It is not an accident that you are here right now. It's not an accident what is happening in the world around us. We may think that God has just taken his hands off our nation and said, let him have it. The chaos that we see, the crises that we see, most seem intentional and by design to cause more confusion, more strife, more chaos, more division. But this time is a set-apart time for us to position ourselves, to begin to turn this nation. Look at what happened this week. And the Supreme Court, glory to God. Think about that. 49 years of Roe v. Wade. 49 years. 63 million children lost. And because God called a man who was not a politician to run for office, and I believe that he was anointed for that position, He answered that call despite what other people were saying, despite all the negatives that they were listening and saying how unqualified he was. He said, I think I can do something good for this nation. And three Supreme Court justices were installed. And now, five years from today, we can look back and see children running and laughing with smiles on their face, going to school. Children who would have not had the opportunity to live. There's still work to do here in Colorado, but this is the fruit of your labor, of your votes, and of your prayers. This is your harvest. To end this, at a federal level and give it back to the states. Now the mission is clear. We know where we need to hone in. We know where we need to work overtime to make sure that we can continue to save lives. Today, lives are being saved because of that decision. This is the second day that we woke up in a post-Roe nation. Glory to God. There's still work to do, but in states surrounding Colorado, they have trigger laws. There's already legislation on the books to limit full-term abortion, to bring that down to the heartbeat being the time limit, States like Georgia even have heartbeat bills that have been passed by the state legislature and signed into law by the governor, but it's been held up in litigation and they were unable to enforce those laws. And because of that decision, because of your prayers, glory to God, lives are being saved 
today. You have people in your church who have served in pregnancy resource centers, providing women opportunities, opportunities for life. John 10.10 tells us it's the thief that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came that you may have life and life more abundantly, life to the overflow. We serve a good God. We have been given authority. What are we doing with this? We see what happens when people get involved at higher levels than they had in the past. We see the outcomes of the policies from the previous administration. We are still having victories because of that administration. Amazing landmark victories. And we all need to be involved to take a look on the inside and say, what has God called me to? Because he has placed gifts and callings on the inside of you for today. Ask him to reveal those to you. You have been given all authority over the power of the enemy. So you may trample on serpents and scorpions and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now what happens if you have that authority and you never tap into it? That's like a police officer who we have many here today I'm really grateful for, grateful for their service. That's like a police officer. Yes, you're worthy of that. Getting dressed, putting on his uniform, putting on his badge, and never actually exercising the authority that he's been given. We have actions that we need to take. James, the book of James, says, do not be hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves, but be doers of the word. You are called to be in partnership with Jesus. And now, when Jesus paid the ultimate price, when Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, shed his blood for the remission of our sins, took stripes on his back to purchase our healing, went to hell in our place and got the keys, got the authority back, rose again victorious. He came back and he had a little chat with his disciples. And I think it's really interesting what he said to him. He told them exactly what to do to live out this God kind of life, this new life that had been purchased. <clears throat> it's not anything that we need to wonder. God, what would you have me do? Maybe it's this way, maybe it's that way. No, he comes back and in Acts chapter one, verse four, after he had presented himself alive, after his sufferings. Verse four, and being assembled together. Whew, I just wanna stop there. We've been, there's been some overreach that has tried to prevent assembly. It is so vital for the church to assemble. God tells us, do not forsake the assembling of the brethren, especially as you see the end times draw near. Especially then, our founding fathers, when they created this government, they had just liberated their nation from tyranny and oppression. And they wanted to make sure that this government was power enough to fight off tyranny and oppression from around the world, but limited enough, so limited, that it would not impose that same tyranny and oppression on its people. Your First Amendment rights were completely trampled through this government overreach. You were forbidden to assemble, which is your unalienable right. And that's not a right that comes from politicians. 
that is from God. And in fact, it is a commandment from God for us to assemble. In order for the church to be powerful, to be awake, to be a force in this earth, there is some assembly required. (laughs) And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait from the promise for the promise of the Father, which he says, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse eight, but you shall receive power. That's dunamis power, mighty, dynamic when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and basalt and to the end of the earth. This is Lauren Boebert paraphrase. (laughs) Jesus told us what to do. I'm giving you all of this authority, but you need a helper. And I have promised him to you. I call him the promise of the Father. And if you want to walk out this life with power and demonstrations and signs following, you will need the guidance of the helper, of the Holy Spirit. He commands them to be baptized. So often, I see Christians who say, I know the Father, I know Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. To me, that's the same as the Pharisees acted when Jesus came and told him who he was. They said, we have a relationship with the Father. We don't need you, Jesus. Now, if I say something that your pastor doesn't agree with, he could fix it next week. I won't be here. And if y'all try to run me out of town, I will get out in front and make it look like a parade. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word. We need to look in the Word and see what God has called us. Christianity is often called the great confession. You aren't a Christian just because you show up to church on Sunday. You aren't a Christian because you own a Bible. You aren't a Christian just because you say, I think I'm a Christian. You had a part to play in becoming a a Christian. There was a confession that was made. You believed in your heart and you confessed with your mouth. You confessed your sins and confessed that Jesus was Lord. And that is how you entered into eternity. How your spirit, which was dead unto God, spiritually separated from God, became alive unto God, connected to God in a moment, the greatest miracle that ever could be. You passed from death to life with the confession of your words. Now, even Jesus had to find himself in the word. If you go to Luke chapter four, Verse 18, Jesus is reading. He opened the book. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He went and he sat down. Where did he sit? He sat down in the Messiah's seat. You weren't supposed to sit there unless you were the Messiah. (gasps) So there's gasps. Jesus reads this. He sits down. 
The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. How dare you, son of Joseph, a carpenter, we know you. And you sat down in that seat. And Jesus, having recognized who he is, said today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if Jesus had to read the word to know who he was, to have that revelation of who he was, I think you and I are gonna have to get in the word of God to have that revelation of who we are in him. Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? When we begin to declare who Jesus is, the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus will then look to you and begin to declare to you who you are. And he will reveal things about yourself that there is no evidence it even exists. At Rifle Mountain Park, we have rock climbers out there. They climb these massive walls. I go out there, I view them from my car. I do not get out. This is very close to exercise and I don't want to be caught doing that. <laughs> I don't want to alarm anybody. But I've seen these rock climbers and they have muscles in places I don't even have places. <laughs> this is how God will begin to reveal things to you. Things that you didn't even know were possible about yourselves. Qualities in you that you did not know existed. He will begin to shed light on those and reveal them and show you how to operate in that. He will anoint you to set at liberty the captives. There's a lot of forces in this world that would like to hold people in bondage, keep them captive, restrict their liberty. That is not what our nation was created for. I believe that there are two nations that have been created to glorify God. Israel, whom we bless, and the United States of America. And this nation will glorify God. Now, as I said, I can't really stand politics, but it doesn't really matter because politics, politicians, government, it doesn't matter if you're not interested in those things because they're interested in you. And you better get interested if you want to have a say in what's happening in your life. Because we have seen that they will try to control every aspect of your life. What you can wear, what you have to cover, what time you can go to the grocery store, if your children can go to school, if you can assemble in church, if you can petition your government. Yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. with the fences and the miles of razor wire around the people's house where you were unable to come into your congressional office and petition your representative with your grievances because you weren't allowed access into the building. So if you want to say in what's happening in your life, it's time to get involved. And I would say that the most important way you can get involved is with your words. Your words are powerful on so many levels. To show up and to speak out, to be bold, to contradict those who would want to limit freedom, those who would try to supersede the laws of the land, those who would seek to do harm and evil on our nation, our people, our children, show up and speak out. We're having many people who never attended a board of county commissioners meeting show up. Speak about their businesses, about their communities, about their churches. Moms and dads showing up to school board meetings because they want to say in what their children are being taught. Your words are powerful. 
They have creative power. God framed the worlds with his words. God said, let there be light and there was light. You are created in his image and in his likeness. If God's words have creative power, so do yours. The power of life and death are in the tongue. We have to start speaking out and we have to start speaking life. You have resurrection power on the inside of you. And to speak that resurrection life into situations that seem dead, lifeless, hopeless, that is the basis of what we are called to do. To speak life. I was telling the first service, I, I travel with, with Christy, who we've gone to church together for, I, I've been there 12 years, 13 years, she's been there a little longer, but I travel with her. And sometimes it's hard to not say the wrong thing. Sometimes we get into places and we want to speak ill of where we're going. Some places aren't as welcoming. They're not as friendly. Like, we'll just throw one out there. I don't want to name names of great cities in our district, but it sounds like El Uride starts with a T. And <laughs> and sometimes when we're going there, it's like, but do we really want to go there? Do we really need to be there? And we're able to hold one another accountable about the words that we're speaking. Are we speaking death and defeat into one of the communities that I represent? Because that's not what I want. I want to speak life and prosperity and flourishment and fulfillment and blessings on these cities. I want to go into those dark places and be a light and reveal the love of God in those places. This is what we are called to do. Are you struggling in your marriage? Begin to speak life into your marriage. Ladies, you are called to something great in your marriage. The power that you have in Christ for your marriage is unmatched. And if you start chasing Jesus with everything that you have, I promise you, your husband will chase you chasing Jesus. Amen. To be able to speak life into a marriage that seems like it's ending is so powerful. That's the work of God. Glory to God. We need to speak these words of encouragement in times like this. I think that there is a season and a place to expose what's in the darkness, to call those things out that seek to corrupt and do harm so we can have a solution moving forward, so we can resolve the issue. So it's fine to be aware. God tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. We are supposed to be fully aware of what the enemy is doing, but we still have the power to turn it around. I leave my four boys and my husband every single day to do this. And if I didn't believe that God was working in the people in our nation to turn it around, I would go home. I know that God is working in and through you. I see it everywhere that I go and it motivates me. It motivates me to keep going, to make that phone call home and say, honey, I know it's tough, but I'll be there in a couple of days. The people need their country back. We cannot slow down. We have to keep pressing on. We have to keep moving forward. Listen, I miss my goats. I would go home and snuggle my goats. But we have a country to save. 
And God is using us to do it. He is not going to come down and turn it all around on his own. We are in cooperation with him. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Co-laborers. Your faith must motivate you to action. And in discussing how your pastor is equipping you and the gifts and callings that God has put on the inside of you for right now, don't limit him with the qualities that you think are disqualifying. Don't limit God by your unbelief because God wants to do something mighty in your life. When God highlighted this position, I promise you, I did not have to wait for CNN to tell me I was not qualified. <laughs> I was the very first one to say, God, I think you have the wrong person. I argued with God for about three days. I argue with God a lot, um, often. I cannot say that I've ever won an argument, but I still try. I'm very persistent. But it's so interesting how he answered that argument. He didn't say, yeah, you're right, you're a failure, your life kind of stinks, maybe you should have finished high school, maybe you should start at a lower level. He didn't agree with all of these things that I saw as disqualifying. Instead, he pointed out something that he put on the inside of me, something that I had not recognized as a God quality as something that God had given me. He spoke to me and he said, I created you with spontaneity. So when I say go, you go. And that arrested my spirit because I have always seen that spontaneous nature on the inside of me as a weakness. God, why can't I ever just make a plan? Why can't I just keep a schedule why can't I stay on task? Why can't I focus on this one thing that you called me to instead of jumping into another? And to hear God say that he created me with that on purpose meant something. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't misuse that gift and operate in it incorrectly. But I know for this position, you need to be spontaneous. We try to make plans. I have a scheduler who works more than full-time, and we still can't get it right because things are always changing. Like the flight last night that was an hour delayed, and then we sat on the tarmac for another hour. And then we got into Denver and waited two and a half hours for Avis rental car. We also waited 20 minutes for the bus, didn't we? We were supposed to get twice. And then we were supposed to get into Glenwood Springs at 2.33 a.m. Oh, that's great. I have a solid five hours of sleep before church. Well, no, we're going to get there after six instead. But it's okay. Because God created me with a spontaneous feature that allows me to ebb and flow through the, through the things that maybe Satan would have hinder my day. Have hinder the plans and callings, and to be able to dodge those and push through and not be discouraged and disappointed when things don't happen exactly like they should have. To be able to move in these seasons. Now, the Apostle Paul went through a lot of spontaneous seasons. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead after he was stoned. He was beaten with rods 39 times, at least three times. And he was in the will of God. There will be circumstances that try to throw you off course. The Apostle Paul even said that there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. I think I have a couple of those. Just saying. Just help me, Jesus. When he cried out to God, 
to remove this messenger of Satan, this thorn in his side, this hindrance from him preaching the gospel, from him ministering to the people around him. God looked at him and said, my grace is sufficient. His empowerment, his ability is sufficient for any trial that comes at you. Any distraction that comes your way. And Paul didn't say, really? That's it? That's all he got for me? Grace? Like, I mean, I heard it's amazing, but... No, he said then I will glory in my weakness, for then I am strong. If you can do what you're doing in your own strength without the help of God, without the blood of Jesus, without the Holy Ghost leading you, guiding you, talking through each and every day, it might not be the plan of God. You cannot do God's will on your own. The anointing of God will take us far further than our character can keep us. That anointing pierces through the darkness and makes a way. That grace is there to equip us and strengthen us. The Holy Spirit is there to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has said, everything that Jesus has done for us and what he purchased for us to live out this life of salvation. That salvation, you go to a good church, so I'm sure you know this, but that word saved is sozo. And it doesn't just mean a ticket to heaven. It means you're saved. You're healed. You're made whole, set free, delivered, prosperous. Eternity starts now. The moment you gave Jesus access into your life, you were saved, healed, delivered, made whole, set free, and prosperous. Salvation applies to every part of your life, not just a ticket to heaven. Now, I didn't understand that most of my life. I was born again when I was three years old. I remember the day. I was in Sunday school, and Sister Charlotte was telling us all about Jesus and heaven and how Jesus wants to come and live in our hearts. And Sister Charlotte said, come close, and we'll pray together for Jesus to come and live in your heart. But Sister Charlotte had a mustache, so I was afraid to come close. (laughs) And now I have to take care of mine. So... (laughs) There is a law of sowing and reaping in the earth. (laughs) God is not a man that he shall be mocked. What a man sows, he shall reap. Praise the Lord. Sorry, honey. (laughs) I'll try not to tickle you later. (laughs) Okay, so Sister Charlotte calls us in close. (laughs) And she prays with us to be born again. And she said, congratulations, Jesus now lives in your heart. I thought, well, what is he going to do in there? I wouldn't want to live in someone's heart. That must be so boring. And maybe for most of my life it was because I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea how to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I had put myself in captivity because I didn't understand where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. That applies to every area of your life. Make him Lord over that area and don't compartmentalize him and you will have freedom, liberty in every one of those areas. So when Jason and I started our family, I said, I want, I want our boys to go to church. I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew you're, that's what you're supposed to do. It was a checkbox. Okay, I'm a good mom. I take my kids to church two, maybe three Sundays a, a month. Pretty good. 
My pastors announced that they were leaving, and I called my cousin, and I said, you know, I think I want more. I is it possible to be hungry for the word? Is it possible to crave the word? I feel like I'm lacking nourishment in my life. Rex is fine. Stop, mom. She's got her boy over here. He's being so good. <laughs> and she, we, we had this conversation, and my, my pastors, who are wonderful pastors, moved and I decided to try a new church, and I, it's the church I call home now, New Creation Church in Glenwood Springs. And that morning, Pastor Mark spoke a message, and I, I know he spoke it that day because he knew I would be there that day. <laughs> He's telling a story about how his wife turns on all the lights in the house when she gets up in the middle of the night. Doesn't matter where she's going, the trails she takes to get there, the paths she takes to get there, she turns on all the lights. And he's like, why? Why do you do that? The rest of us are sleeping. Why are you turning on all the lights? You have enough light from the moon, the appliances and whatnot to find your way around and not get hurt. And she's like, I don't know. I like the lights on. So this happens several times. And he says, you know, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to prove to her that I could go through the whole house without turning on a single light and make it all the way back and not get hurt. So he does. He goes in, goes all throughout the house, all the way back into the bedroom. He's like, look at that. I didn't turn on a single light. I had just enough light to see where I was going and not bump into things. Maybe, maybe had some close calls, but I didn't get hurt and I made it back. And she said, good for you. I like the lights on. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him in that moment and said, this is how many of my children are choosing to live life. They are choosing to walk in the dark. They have just enough light, just enough revelation of who Jesus is to not get into too much trouble, to not get too hurt. But I have given them the ability to walk in the light, walk in the fullness of the revelation of everything that is purchased for them, everything that belongs to them, and they are choosing to walk in the dark. And I said, God, I want to walk with the lights on. I want to make you the Lord of every part of my life, the Lord of my marriage, the Lord of my parenting, the Lord of my business. I want to make you Lord of my life. I don't want to tread underfoot one drop of blood that was shed on my behalf. Now, Isaiah 60 tells us, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That glory, that's the manifest presence of God. The presence of God, the manifest presence of God is upon you. This isn't some fairy tale. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. That darkness is ignorance and deception. They do not have a revelation of who God is or who they are in Christ. Either they've never known, or they're deceived about what they did know. And the trouble with being deceived, the problem with deception, is it's deceiving. You usually don't know you're being deceived. God said, my people, Christians, his sons and daughters, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. That doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you don't, you're not going to heaven. It means there are many blessings that God has for you and your family in your life that you will not have access to simply by a lack of knowledge a lack of revelation and tapping in to everything that has been purchased for you. His glory will be seen upon you. 
The Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. You are called to influence nations. You have an inheritance. Kings will be drawn to your rising. You will be a sign and a wonder to the unbeliever. I love that you're having these healing schools here, uh, these, these nights where you come in and, and actually have people of the church pray and lay hands on those who need to receive healing or blessing or comfort. Mark 16 says signs will follow those who believe. And believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. Oh, shall. Glory. We just had an amazing revelation in our country about the word shall this week with the other amazing Supreme Court decision. Shall issue. You've done everything that you're supposed to. You shall be issued this certificate. Not may. Not if I feel like it. Not if I think that you're qualified enough. You shall receive this. This is the kind of language that God uses. The promises of God have answers already to them. And they are yes and amen. You shall receive the promises of God. You shall be endued with power from on high. Yes and amen. Yes and so be it. Now before we close, oh man, I have two things. I'm gonna say both. Okay. (laughs) This is, a very turbulent time that we're in right now. But we are called to have peace. We have the Prince of Peace on the inside of us and be led by peace. And sometimes when we're led by peace, that doesn't always look perfect to people who aren't. People who don't understand what God has called us to. And I commend your pastor for what he's done here in the church and in the school and taking a stand against overreach. Just because it comes from someone who's elected or a bureaucrat doesn't mean that it's right. This isn't about Republican and Democrat. This is about evil and good, right and wrong. And if you go to Esther 4 and verse 14... Mordecai is talking to Esther and he says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Mordecai is telling Esther, if you remain silent, if you don't show up to your board of county commissioners, if you don't show up to your school boards, if you don't let your elected representatives know what's on your mind, deliverance will come at some point from another place, but not from you. And you will be stuck in that bondage and suffer and perish because of it. The dreams and the gifts and callings that God has on you will remain dormant. If you are silent, you lose by default. That's why I run my mouth often and give God glory. I don't want to lose by default. I don't want to be disqualified. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now we could take that scripture and make it really cliche. It sounds really pretty and it looks really good on the front of a notebook. But this is powerful because you are called to the kingdom for this time. And you are called to be bold, to go out with power. You are anointed to set at liberty the captives. Esther had that revelation. She said, I won't remain silent. In fact, I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
The reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter, and it means nothing like what they say it does. I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I will open my church and allow my people to assemble, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I will not mask our children in school, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Thank you for your boldness. Now, I want to leave you just with this encouraging word. I hope it encourages you and blesses you. I carry crayons for my Bible. It works better than a highlighter if you need a tip. I don't carry a helmet too, just the crayons. So, um, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites were at the Red Sea. And it looked like it was all over. This was the end. In my Bible, it says that the Egyptians had overtaken them. The enemy had overtaken them. And so often in our nation, we feel like we've already been overtaken. That there's already a majority that has set the direction for this country, and there's nowhere for us to go. There's no deliverance in sight. We're at this massive body of water that we certainly can't tread through to get to the other side. Seems impossible. When the Israelites were at the Red Sea, they began to cry out to God. And he said, why do you cry out to me? I think there's many of us that God is saying that too. When we're talking about gas prices, when we're talking about inflation and how do we feed our families and our jobs, maybe there was an unconstitutional medical mandate that prevented you from going to work and supplying for your family and their needs. The invasion that is taking place at our southern border, the broken supply chains, the crises that are man-made in our country that seem very intentional. And often we cry out to God, say, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to deliver us? God looked to Moses and he said, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people to go forward. So in the face of all of this adversity, I encourage you to continue to press on and go forward. Our nation needs you to be involved at every area. We need you in position. We need you to have a revelation of everything that God has called you to. And God, who is the way maker, will make a way where there is no way. God bless you all and thank you. Please stay up here again. Come on, Jason. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I called them up here because I want us to be able to pray a blessing over them. Do you know, that was a great message. But I want to say this, even greater is her example of boldness and courage and putting it all on the line. We don't need people doing stuff just to be able to win a next election, but to just live boldly, courageously, and put it all out there. Let everybody know who you are. And we want to honor you today and thank you for that. I, before we pray a blessing over them, and I want to pray for Jason as well, who, who um, makes equal sacrifice for our country. And we thank him so much for that role you're playing, and God's got a blessing for you today. But I forgot to do something earlier. I feel like we need to stop for just a moment 
to thank the Lord for a victory that we got this week, that we have prayed for our entire lives. Can we do that? <clears throat> Amen. Father in heaven, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, and the Savior who said, allow the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And Father, we just want to thank you this day that from the highest court in our land, there was a decision that was made that removed a blight from our nation, an abomination, the killing of the innocents. Lord, there was no voice for the voiceless. And so, Father, we just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that this nation would be a nation of life, yeah and a nation of blessing. You said you have placed before us life and blessing yes. or death and a curse, yes. and we choose life today. Yes. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, that that first step would release a next level of blessing and mercy towards this land, oh God. Yes. And Father, I also pray for the state of Colorado. Yes. And we apologize, Lord God, for what our legislature did and for what our governor signed. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would, Lord, fall upon the city of Denver. Yes. And that, God, that you would, you would pull down the scepter of wickedness yes. so that good people would no longer do what's wrong. Yes. And that you would establish a righteous law yes. to preserve the lives of children yes. in the womb. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. So thank you, Lord. Yes. But let us move forward, I pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Would you stretch your hands towards Jason and Congresswoman Bobert? Father, I just thank you for these two. And I thank you for the call of God because you have raised them up for such a time as this. I thank you, Lord God. First, I want to thank you for Jason, God, and I pray that you would bless him. I pray, Lord God, that you would establish a step. I pray, Father, that he would fulfill the purpose, plan, and destiny that you have for him. I pray, oh Lord God, that you would help him, Lord God, to be the husband he needs to be, Lord God, to support someone with such a calling that would even take her out of the home sometimes. But I, I know, Lord God, that the Spirit of the Lord is going to come and visit him in the night watches. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift him up and, and, and strengthen him and encourage him, Lord God, when he needs it, Father. And this man got very little sleep to last night. But Lord God... The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is, yes. dwells in you yes. and will strengthen your mortal flesh in Jesus' name. And I thank you, God. I thank you for the call upon this man's life. It is a calling, Lord. And Father, I just thank you for Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. And I pray, Father, that you would bless her. Lord God, I pray that you would give her a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We commit to you, Lord God, her future, her destiny, the plans that you have for her, Lord God. We declare over her that no weapon formed against her will prosper and no evil intention is going to land on her. And we also declare that the accuser of the brethren yeah. is bound in Jesus' name yeah. and that he stands against someone declared righteous in Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, we just bless her, Lord, and let her light shine brightly. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, we bless this whole family. Bless their children, Father. Bless them. Raise them up, Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you, man. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I realize that we've gone over just a couple minutes, but we've got to do something that we value very much here. You can't come to a building and know God. You can't listen to a person and know God. You know, the message of the gospel would be, and this is so important, that it is our sins that have alienated us from God so that we can't experience his fullness, his glory, his freedom, and the call of God upon the life. The Lord is a word for you and a life ahead of you. But I want to add to that as well that this is also a moment where we need men and women who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and determined that they're going to follow him. This is not a time anymore 
for clandestine following of Jesus. It's not a time for timidity. And you say, but I don't have the strength. Well, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God, if you have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will come and dwell inside of you and you will receive power and to walk in this day. So can I ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes? I want to give a moment for each person to make a personal decision. I'm going to close in prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He will mark you this day, and you will never be the same again. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment that we deserved so that we could receive the righteousness of God. He shed his blood so that he could wash us, wash us completely clean. And we can know that we are the children of God. If you want to give your heart to the Lord today, if you need a Savior, I did. I needed one desperately. We all do. We've all sinned. And you say to me, Pastor Jim, I want today to be the day of my salvation. I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. But I just want to help lead you on the path that I walked a long time ago. I'm going to close in prayer if you say, Pastor Jim, I, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to lift up your hand just saying this prayer is going to be my prayer today. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to step out where you're, where, where you're standing and come down one of these aisles and stand with me. And I want to pray a blessing over you. And you're saying, wait, in front of the people, I don't want to do that. Jesus said this. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels. And so well, you say, well, what, what's going on here? It's pride that keeps us from God. It's just self-determination and self-will. But the truth is it doesn't work. We don't even have control over our next breath. If you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before we leave, I would like to ask you to lift up your hand just saying, I want to pray and receive Jesus into my heart today. Today is your day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Lift up your hands. Are your hands lifted up back there? Amen. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Right there. God bless you. Is there anyone else? You want to give your heart to Jesus. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Would you put your hand up so I can see it? Would you do that? If you're raising your hand, you want to receive the Lord into your heart right there. God bless you, sweetheart. I was six years old when I gave my life to Christ. The Lord is going to save you today. Is there someone else? The Spirit doesn't always strive with men. If he's drawing you today, you need to respond. For these who raise their hands, let's pray this prayer together. God in heaven, thank you for loving me, even when I didn't love you. Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to die on a cross for me. If I was the only sinner, he would have died for me. Jesus, you took my punishment upon your back. You wore a crown of thorns, had nails in your hands and feet. A spear was in your side, and you did it for me. Thank you. I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my heart. Wash me clean. Forgive me of all my sins past, present, and future. From this day on, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. As he lives in me, I will live for him. Thank you for calling me a child. And thank you for my home in heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you come forward if you lift your hand today? I don't know who it might be. This couple back here. Thank you so much. God bless you. Anyone else, did you lift your hand to receive 
the Lord into your heart today, right there. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord God, we praise you because you ordained this day and it was written in eternity. We just receive our brothers and sisters in Christ today. We have in common that we were sinners and now we have received the righteousness of Christ. Just bless them, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. I pray, God, let their life bring forth 30, 60, 100-fold, God. Let them, God, do more than they could ever ask or imagine. Thank you, God. Keep them all their days. Keep them, Lord, their feet from stumbling. Help us all, Lord, to walk faultless before you. And I just thank you, Lord God, for what you've done today. We give you the praise and glory and honor. And Lord, we know how much you love us and we're so thankful. So we bless you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. God bless you, sweet. Thank you. May the grace and the blessing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest and remain on you for now and evermore. Go be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Follow the one who is the joy of the whole earth. I bless you as peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So Father God, thank you for what you did today. Thank you for our Congresswoman, Lord God, speaking the, the gospel boldly. Thank you for the whole team, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's here today, God. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Please feel free to stay around and enjoy a picnic with us. We're going to have a good time. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.